Hey, everybody. I'm Andy Ostroy. Welcome to The Back Room. American democracy is majestic, but it is fragile. Many of us here have witnessed its fragility firsthand, tragically, in this chamber. And so democracy must be forever defended from forces that wish it harm. Last week, the American people spoke, and their voices were raised in defense of liberty, of the rule of law, and of democracy itself. The people stood in the breach and repelled the assault on democracy. They resoundingly rejected violence and insurrection, and in doing so, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. And now we owe to the American people our very best to deliver on their faith to forever reach for the more perfect union, the glorious horizon that our founders promised. Amen, sister. God, I love that woman, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, that was just, that just crystallized everything that's happened. I was going to say in the last couple of weeks, but really it's what it's been all about the last six years. I mean, it just, you know, she went on to announce that she's stepping down from her leadership role uh, it appears that uh, Hakeem Jeffries, who I think is going to be amazing, will likely be stepping in to fill that, that role. But this nation, on so many levels, I think this nation owes her such a huge debt of gratitude. Democrats, Republicans, who don't even understand how they owe her a debt of gratitude, but they do. Women, young girls, like the, this glass ceilings that she shattered. I mean, this is a woman who is one of the smartest, most capable, competent, courageous, crafty. I mean, she was just amazing at her job. And the last few years, I think, you know, we live in a world of ageism. You know, when people look at people who are like nearing 80 years old, you know, all the talk about Biden, he's too old, he's weak, he's this, he's senile, she's this, she's that, she's an old woman. She hit her prime during the Trump years, you know, it was like he became her muse in a way uh, that inspired her to just reach even higher levels than she already had. I mean, think about the moments like that meant so much in the moment to every one of us, like when she did that clap at the State of the Union or when she ripped up the speech or the Oval Office meeting where she pointed her finger and was like, don't you talk about blah, blah, blah. And, and Trump was just sitting there like a fucking four-year-old who just, you know, was caught with his hand in the cookie jar. And then the red coat walk with the sunglasses out of the White House. Like, I don't, re- I don't know how you guys felt when, when you saw that, but like, it felt like, okay, we're going to be okay. Despite this maniac in the White House, we're going to be okay because we got Nancy. <laughs> Because we have this 80-year-old woman who is got, I hate to say bigger balls, because I, I know that there are a lot of, a lot of people that be like, oh, no, you can't say that, you know, about a woman. No, but you can. She's got bigger balls than any, maybe with the exception of Adam Kinzinger, but any Republican in, man in Congress and Republican man in the media. And she is going to be very very sorely missed. And I think what's really sad is I think that 
what broke her in the end, unfortunately, for America, was a, a vicious, brutal attack on her husband. As ha- ha- and, and, and having something like that happen in my life, in my family, to my spouse, I understand how that, that changes your whole purview. It, it makes you assess, reassess, and, and reevaluate every move you make and every risk in your life. I remember, you know, after my wife died, like I just, every little thing I did was like, oh God, what if I die? My daughter's going to be a, an orphan. She's not going to have any parents. Um, like it just changed, you just all of a sudden start thinking about everything you never thought about before. And you know, watching Nancy Pelosi in that interview she gave, I think it was with Anderson Cooper, where she, he asks her how much of Paul's attack will play into your decision going forward with leadership. And you could see she starts to quiver, her face quivers, and, and she says, it will, it will a lot. And, and, and it did. You know, I think she made a decision that it just got too fucking crazy. When, when they break into your house and bash your husband's skull in, maybe it's time to make a, dis- a different decision. And that's just truly sad. It's, tr- it's sad because of the loss of her leadership, but it's just sad uh, uh, based on what it says about where we are today. Like that you know the other side is just jumping for joy in their victory that we finally got her out. And if, and if, and if beating the shit out of her husband is what made it happen, they're okay with that. And that's just a really sad commentary on where we are. I don't know. Where, what do you guys think about this whole Pelosi thing? I want to thank Nancy Pelosi for her service because her quiet strength was able to hold together a coalition of Democrats who are on such different pages. And it can't just be the hatred of Trump. It was because she was able to negotiate very, very stealthily. Mm. And I, that, that's, that's the part that I wanted to share. Yeah. No, it's a good thought. Yeah, I think there's very few people on the planet who can go to sleep at night knowing that they literally saved millions of people's lives mm-hmm. and made them better and she can do that the affordable care act which mm-hmm. she it wouldn't be here without her right. it really wouldn't and right. getting rid of pre-existing conditions mm-hmm. and saving the lives of literally hundreds of thousands if not millions of people and mm-hmm. she can go to sleep at night knowing she did that mm-hmm. yeah no she was a, a true fighter and she was an amazing vote counter and she strategically knew she knew how to do that job better than probably anybody in history and uh it would be harder and be i would be more upset ultimately if i truly didn't feel that hakeem jeffries is just the perfect guy for the job at this point that he has that same i mean i've always loved him i think he is just a real fighter uh big balls knows what to say how to say it not afraid and goes right to the heart of the matter. And being uh, a young person, being a person of color, I know there's probably going to be a lot of people who say, oh, we should replace Nancy Pelosi with a woman. I get that. And maybe that's true. I don't know. But I think a young black man is pretty damn good progress as well. And especially in this, coming from a state like New York, which has a huge uh, minority population, uh, I think it's a great thing. It's not final. It's just the rumor mill. I mean, a few other people who have sort of thrown their hats into the ring, but I think he's he's going to get it because he's 
I, I think he's amazing. And so that's, you know, the, the sadness of losing her is sort of tempered a little bit by not feeling like, oh, crap, now what do we do? Now who do we have? And, uh, um, and it might change things. It just might take us into that next period in a way that we need to. So, you know, sometimes it's, you know, that expression like, you know, it's, it's time, right? Uh, but I just feel really shitty that her time has basically come because her husband got the crap beat out of him and almost died. Um, the midterms. What can we say about the midterms? Uh, maybe the biggest takeaway of the midterms is maybe it's the end of Trump. Kind of looks like it might actually, really, maybe, possibly, kind of, sort of, be the end of Trump. Um, this week we saw the Wall Street Journal, the National Review, more New York Post stuff. I mean, New York Post, little thing at the bottom, Florida man makes announcement. I mean, come on. But somebody pointed out that uh, New York Post has made, you know, very anti-Trump headlines in the past, like in 2015 and 16, and then went on to kiss his ass for the next four years, mm -hmm. five years. Uh, but here's where it gets really interesting. People like Stephen Schwarzman, <coughs> chairman and CEO and co-founder of uh, Blackstone, another GOP megadonor, who's a GOP megadonor, said America, quote, America does better when its leaders are rooted in today and tomorrow, not today and yesterday. It is time for the Republican Party to turn to a new generation of leaders, and I intend to support one of them in the presidential primaries. Huge megadonor. Citadel CEO Ken Griffin, philanthropist, and also Republican kingmaker Andy Sabin, two other huge megadonors, former Trump supporters, said, that's it, I'm done. He lost Ivanka. Ivanka. <laughs> Ivanka said, quote, I love my father very much. I wish I could do an Ivanka impression. Jen, can you do an Ivanka? Fun. I hey, schedule 10 minutes of fun. There you go. Read that in your best Ivanka voice. I love my father very much. This time around, I'm choosing to prioritize my young children and the private life we are creating as a family. I do not plan to be involved in politics. While I always love and support my father going forward, I will do so outside the political arena. I am grateful to have had the honor of serving the American people, and I will always be proud of many of our administration's accomplishments. Thank you. Well done. Well done. That was beautiful. Thank you. Uh, and I'm going to translate what Ivanka said. Basically, Please. what Ivanka said is, Daddy, you're fucking out of your mind. You damn near ruined my fucking life. Jared hates you. My kids don't want to go near you, let alone sit on your lap. Jesus Christ. We're out of here. We're done. I'm going to try to get our lives back together. But thanks for allowing us to like acquire like $400 million during your presidency. We, we do appreciate that. I mean, when you lose, like, I don't know. I mean, I was joking yesterday that Trump still has 40% support among his kids. Like, when you lose Ivanka, if that isn't a sign, like, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to hit the iceberg. Right? Jared was at Mar-a-Lago, though. And um, I'm going to quote a friend of the back room, Stuart Stevens, mm -hmm. who uh, is thinking that the Republicans are going to come back to him because they have one major problem. They created a Frankenstein mm -hmm. and the base, yep. uh, the base is still really, really behind him. Because it's all about the base, about the base. <laughs> that was a very bad Megan <laughs> Trainer impression. Should I, given that? I should have given that to you, mm. Jen. Could you do Megan It's all about the base, about the base. Yeah, there no you go. No trouble. There you go. Big trouble. should be big trouble. Yeah, no, you're right. That, that, is a, that is really it. Because if it was any other candidate, 
They'd be like, fuck you, you're, we're out of here. But they, they have that problem. And the reason they have that problem is because they fear, and this is the way it's been for seven years now with Trump, because he's a sociopath, they fear that he'll be like, and I'm just going to warn everyone I'm about to do my Trump. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a good time to go to the bathroom if you, <laughs> if you have to go, because <laughs> you're not going to miss anything. Oh, my God. Uh, they fear that he's going to be like, oh, you're abandoning me? Okay. Well, here's their phone number and your address, and I want all my MAGA crazies to go to their house and do something bad. Very bad Trump impression. I should stop to even trying. But they're, they're literally afraid that he's going to, like, remember when he gave Lindsey Graham's phone number? Mm-hmm. Like, they think there's going to be, like, armed lunatics on their front lawn. And you know what? There might be. Mm-hmm. Because he is Frankenstein. And he's created uh, tens of millions of little Frankensteins. People feel seen. Yeah. And empowered. Yeah. And he's like Marion Barry, right? When Marion Barry was caught with crack, right? And he came back and won. Hey, what's wrong with being <laughs> caught in a motel with a transvestite <laughs> hooker with crack? That, no, I'm not saying like I... Not that you're making a comparison to Trump, or, but... It's true, yeah. though. He's the great disinhibitor. Yes. And, um, but I, I mean, he's, he's obviously, I mean, it seems like he's not really running to be president. He's, he's running to avoid jail. And I think George Conway wrote a great piece in the Washington Post about this yeah. the other day. Yeah, no, I saw that. He, he is, right, he's got a strategy, but it is, they, they have a replacement. They have a replacement who won bigly in Florida. So all the pieces of, like, dipping their toes in that dump Trump water... Are there. His strategy is, is starting to pay off. I mean, Facebook announced that they're no longer allowed to fact check him because he's running for president. And we're going to see all sorts of knock on effects because of this. Mm-hmm. But I do think, and maybe this is my own naivete, but I do think more and more of that base, and I've said this for years, the base, like if you put your hands out, left hand, right hand, and like a giant space in the middle, because people can't see because we're audio only. <laughs> that's the base. But then, like, there's the far right of the base, there's the far left of the base, and there's everybody in between. He, he, over the years, has lost more and more of that base. So let's just say, hypothetically, he started out with 100 people. It's, it's foolish to think he still has 100 people. He might have 20. I think he has 65. I don't think Agree. so. Agree. I don't think so. <laughs> I think he, and I, and I think, I mean, listen to his speech, you know, the, you know, I mean, come on, like, <laughs> right, the Adderall snip, like... Low energy? I'm just going to recommend that people dip their toe into the crazy land, which, like I do, which is go to the Breitbart comment section. Yeah, but that's not... You didn't read 50 million emails that, or, or messages. Like, it, yeah, it's representative. He's going to have his crazies. He has his crazies. They're not going anywhere, especially while they're still waiting for JFK Jr. to arrive and become vice president. And Elon Musk will retweet that. But we're going to get to Musk in a second. But the reality is... People are starting to move away from him because I do think they believe what I just said, which is that that base factor is less of a factor. And so we're seeing more movement away than we've ever seen. The money's drying up. The media's drying up. And we're just at the start of it. So my thing is, all right, let's, let's see what happens in three months. Three months from now, this will be a real... Two months from now, even a month from now, this is going to be a really interesting conversation because we're already seeing just after a week things really starting to shift so anyway 
the the other big thing that we can now step back and look at after two weeks with the with the midterms is that it really was a, a major slap in the face and rebuking of the election deniers like that as a strategy which is really trump's only strategy again that died that died with carrie lake it died with doug mastriano it died with blake masters there's still going to be people that spew that big lie bullshit but americans the people who vote they want more than that and that's where the republican party has to make a decision now whether they're going to keep spewing that bullshit or give people what they want if they give people what they want they can't also at the same time support trump that's what makes desantis a very viable option a couple other minor things mitch mcconnell's going to stay in control of the the minority caucus in in the senate rick scott i mean what fucking right did rick scott like, it's like hey everybody remember me i just lost the senate for you so now put me in charge like where does he come off thinking he should be rewarded for a performance like the republicans just did in the, in the midterms kind of crazy uh and then I'm, we're still waiting to see if mccarthy's going to get the 218 votes to to be um speaker of the house and we're going to talk uh, about that with our guest Molly Jong Fast, who's coming up soon, who's coming up fast on this podcast, because uh, she wrote an interesting piece about that. Jim Jordan is going to chair the fucking judici- Judiciary Committee. That is terrifying. And then Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to have a prominent role in the Oversight Committee. I mean, literally, it's like the Fox are being shipped into the hen house. I mean, it's insane. But it's going to, uh, it's going to be, the next two years is really going to be an apocalyptic hellscape dumpster fire cluster fuckery shit show. Sounds like Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> you stole my thunder. I was going to say, <laughs> speaking of apop- apocalyptic hellscape dumpster fire cluster fuckery shit shows, let's talk about Twitter. <laughs> Thanks, Maddie. <laughs> Sorry to have stolen Comedy is everything. It's all about timing and delivery. Um, no, seriously, what... I'm going to throw the floor to you because you are the Twitter guy. I mean, I think we're watching a spectacular failure of an unwinding of a human being and the unwinding of a, of a really important platform. And the notion that Twitter was somehow, somehow overbearing in their moderation isn't true. What's what's broken now is what this man child vandalized and turned into a shit show. And we're just watching it disintegrate. And he's tweeting things about how Twitter is going to be open source journalism. I mean, we have open source journalism, and it's called QAnon. Uh, there's open source investigations by places like Bellingcat, and it's going to really hurt those places. Uh, Elliot Higgins, who's the founder of Bellingcat, has tweeted out that you know they wouldn't be where they are without Twitter, but it's because they have people all over the world crowdsourcing information that's not the same thing as open source journalism mm-hmm. which is some sort of shit show that this man is is trying to invent the only way twitter is saved is if they put in a ceo maybe you know if, if mark cuban or somebody actually did it there's a theory that he's trying to devalue twitter so that he could then buy the debt and and basically cut billions off of his debt and then uh build it up with a new ceo and then sell it back to the public um as a public company, uh, that would be the best possible scenario at this point. But I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, but well, I was going to ask you, what do you think? What is his motive? Like what? I mean, I, I keep tweeting to him. He doesn't respond, by the way. But I, I tweeted to him yesterday, like, what on earth possessed you to buy Twitter? I'm just curious, like serious question. Like what? Why spend $44 billion if 
everything you just said, Maddie, is what is happening. You're just like causing a death spiral within three weeks. I call this the LOL nihilist. God knows how he signed a contract they couldn't get out of. So I don't think he meant to buy it. So now he's stuck with it. Well, it's going to be really interesting because the last couple of days, you got people flocking out the door and it's just the offices are shut. It's like We're not even talking about the way he's treating the employees, which legitimately it probably needed to have thousands of employees laid off in a legitimate way, which we've seen happen at Amazon. We've seen happen at Facebook lately, Mm -hmm. but they did it responsibly. Nobody is screaming at Mark Zuckerberg uh, about laying off 11,000 employees because it was done in a legitimate, normal manner. Yeah. No, he's, he's erratic. I mean, this morning he tweeted the skull and bones poison symbol, which what the fuck does that mean? What are you, what are you trying to say? Quite appropriate anyway. Anyway, before we bring out Molly Jung fast, just want to again, talk about the Trump impression. I I may even give it up, but this morning I picked up a new one. I'm a I'm a fan I'm a fan of Morning Joe. I watch Morning Joe. Don't love everything, but I, I am a fan overall. And I love Eugene Robinson. And Eugene Robinson has an amazing voice. An amazing laugh. So here's what I'm I'm starting to work on my Eugene Robinson. Uh, because he's got such an amazing voice. And then he just cracks himself up like <laughs> And I started thinking about Matt Friend, how he talked about how Howard Stern morphs into Alan Alda. Eugene Robinson, uh, uh, the Count from Sesame Street, morphs into, like, if you just sort of, like, he, he can morph right into, into Eugene. So it'd be like, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Uh, uh, Joel Meeker, isn't that funny? That's really funny. All right, we're going to bring out Molly Jung fast. She, uh... Uh, is an amazing person, and uh, we're very excited to have her in the room. She is a special contributor to Vanity Fair and the host of Fast Politics Podcast. Molly, welcome into the back room. Uh, I feel very welcomed. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Uh, delighted. Before we get into very serious stuff, I just want to—I uh, uh, want to say you have a very cool name, and I say that because oh, yeah. I hate my name. I've always hated my name. It probably stemmed from childhood when I spent nearly most of it being called Ostrich, which was, wasn't fun. But you have a name that is like, it's, it's very cool. It's like, it's almost like James Bond cool. That's how cool it is. Oh, so this is what I would say about my name. My name was a creation of a, of a different time, of a, ta- a, a sort of um, a utopian 1970s time when my mother, Erica Jung, mm-hmm. had uh, a fantasy of her life. She had, was married to her second husband. She went to a book party thrown by my grandfather, who I think was trying to have an affair with her. The guy who picked her up was my father. She fell in love with my father or whatever. They went, they, uh, they she immediately left her second husband and married and went to the Dominican Republic to get a divorce her uh, and then it, and then she came back and she uh, married my father and they both hyphenated their names. So for the three years they were married, she was Erica Jong fast and he was Jonathan John fast and I was Molly John fast and then in 1981, when I was three years old, they started their process of getting divorced, which lasted for about a decade. And I, and the only product of that union besides me is my weird last name. Not weird. 
It's great. No. It's, yeah. it's very Bondy. It's like John Fast. Molly John Fast. Exactly. That was my Sean Connery, so, by the way. That was very good. Yeah. yeah. And so before we get started again, uh, I, we, we in the back room like to try to get a window into people's souls. And you can't do that just by talking politics and stuff. So I'm going to ask you a question that maybe no one has ever asked you before. Uh, yeah. And I think I kind of know the answer, but are you a cat or dog person? <laughs> what kind of question is that? I have it's, it's, in my it possession. It says everything about a human. So I have in my possession three dogs, two, el- one elderly, one rescue, and one a fancy show dog puppy that is right now at our, is coming home tomorrow from its most recent foray into like getting kind of whatever, but he, she's coming home tomorrow. So I have three dogs, but I love cats, but we don't have cats because we used to have cats and dogs. And we discovered that there's, I learned the hard way that dogs love to eat cat litter. And I, my God, it's amazing. You just said that. I literally said to my kid, a couple of my kids who are living with me right now, please keep the bathroom door closed because Ringo is going in there and eating dog is going to go in there. It's a delicacy to him. It's their favorite thing. And that is why we don't have any cats. I give him food. He doesn't eat his food. And then he goes and eats cat shit. My life is too short to wrestle a cat shit out of a dog's mouth. Ergo, now, once it goes in, you should just leave it there. I wouldn't even bother. Well, with but the, it's with also the, with like, the wrestling it's not, of the cat shit. Yeah, but it's not that they, it's like you, they don't just eat it and then it's gone. It's like there's litter everywhere. And then they They've lick your face. over the litter They box. lick your face. Like, it's just so disgusting. So yeah. that is why we don't have any cats. All right. Uh, I, I want to ask you about the show cat before we move on. Like, is yeah, that show sound, dog. The show dog. That sounds like a dog that's going to end up with its own Instagram account. Am I wrong? I mean, I don't know. This dog, we were so so devastated when our, one of our elderly dogs got hit by a motorcycle. And then we did the, the vet said, you know, the surgeon at the hospital said this is a very old dog who has diabetes and has had pancreatitis and perhaps not a great surgery candidate. And I looked at everyone. And I said, you guys, let's not do this to this dog. Let's not do this to us. Mm-hmm. Let's not spend all this money. And everyone said, you're a murderer. My husband was like, are you going to do this to me when it's my time? And my eldest <laughs> son was like... If you shit, I will. Right. And and my eldest son, my second son, because my eldest son is in college, my second son was like, was like, you're a murderer. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's do this surgery. So that dog who then had the surgery then died. And so we were so traumatized that my second son said, call this woman we met at Westminster Dog Show and find out if she has any puppies. And I was like, no. And then I was like, why am I on the phone with this woman from Westminster Dog Show? <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. No, That's the story. You, you murderer. Yeah. Um, I all right. So I, I read an, uh, an article recently in the New York Times about you. It was very insightful. I, I, I talk often about my own dysfunctional childhood. I find it very therapeutic. Oh, yeah. uh, therapeutic. Oh, but, but you, you... You were dyslexic or are dyslexic. Your parents split, as you say, when you were three years old. Booted out of Dalton. Rehab at 19. Married at 23. A novel, normal girl, like a tell-all novel. Like, so how did, and people always say to me, like, how did, how did you end up like, okay, like so normal? I want to ask you, so how did you end up so normal? So I, so I 
had an alcoholic family. I got sober when I was 19. The reason I'm so normal is because I got sober when I was 19. Mm. So I went to rehab because I had seen about it in a movie. I had seen whatever. There were a couple of rehab movies in the 90s. And I had seen them and they looked... Uh, ordinary rehab, people? Looked, was it like ordinary people with... Uh, no, it was like dumb rehab movies you've never seen. No. Like... You know, there, I think that that brown-haired actress from Speed, what's her name? Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock was mm -hmm. in one, mm -hmm. I think. There were a couple of those kind of not great uh, rehab movies. There was one with Meg Ryan, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, so I had seen all those movies and I had thought, and then there was Girl Interrupted mm -hmm. and Drinking a Love Story. There was a right. whole genre in Prozac mm -hmm. Nation. So I thought, yeah, I'm crazy and I'll just go to rehab and it'll be like a spa. Mm -hmm. So, and I was 19. So I went to this rehab in Minnesota called Hazleton. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was November, it was November 1st, 1997. Got on a, uh, I feel like it was Northwest. They had Northwest back then, that airline. Mm -hmm. Got a Northwest flight. I had two vodka cranberries and three clonopin in the lounge. <laughs> Jesus. I got on the plane. I had two glasses of white wine. Uh, I got there. A woman picked me up. My mother had flown me, but a woman picked me up, an elderly woman, drove me in a station wagon from uh, St. Paul to Center City. Mm -hmm. It's like an hour and a half. It's very, it was November, so there was 10 feet of snow on the ground. Um, and you pass all those ice shacks with the people fishing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I got there and I was like, this is going to be like a spa. And it was like completely like a mental hospital. And they leave you there. You know, and I had a, like three bottles of pills with me and they took the pills and then they took my shoelaces. And I thought, well, this is not what they do at the spa. And uh, and then I was there for a month and I got, you know, they told me what to do and they humbled me and they and I got, uh, you know, I chopped wood and carried what I didn't actually chop wood. But, you know, I cleaned mm -hmm. and vacuumed mm -hmm. and did my chores and what, you know, and got the privilege of having a private room as the longer I was there and the harder I worked. Mm -hmm. And and I sort of re, uh, you know, I learned humility. So there's there's a pecking order in rehab. I didn't know I mean, that. it, well, in a good rehab, yeah, yeah, no, you like go in a, in there, a... yeah, and you get chores, mm -hmm. and you get more responsibility the more chores you do, and mm -hmm. the more you kind of humble yourself to the process, and you do your therapy groups, and you do your, I mean, the reason why celebrities can never do rehab is mm -hmm. because it sucks, right? Like, you go there, like, it's not, you know, everybody thinks rehab is like, I mean, I went in 1997, so it was 25 years ago. It's not like super fresh memory for me, but I remember showing up and thinking like, I mean, basically you can't, there's no fraternizing, right? You can't talk to the boys. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you do the, re, you know, you do therapy groups and you do, uh, you know, AA meetings and you do like in-person therapy. You, I, I thought the food was very good. Mm -hmm. And then you smoke. And, you know, and you watch some television. And when I went there, and I don't know that this is still true, you were allowed to have coffee. And sometimes you could order a Carvel cake. You know, there were some. And, the, and um, you know, and I Cookie liked puss. it. 
like a cookie push yeah, cake. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they still had, <laughs> you know, but yes. So I, I liked it and I got it and I mean, got it. For today, I am sober and I hope I stay sober, you know. Well, good for you. And it's great that you, you've done that. And I think unintentionally you've given Hazleton a, a new tagline for their next ads. <laughs> Hazleton, we're not a spa. It's really true. Well, I think that the the real, because, you know, I came from a family with famous people who were alcoholics who couldn't get sober. So, I mean, they weren't that famous, but they were famous-ish. And um, celebrities have a real hard time getting sober because they just can't. The idea that you're like everybody else Mm -hmm. and you're going to die like everybody else and you're going to, you know, it's all you're just like everybody else is really fundamentally runs contrary to the whole idea of being a celebrity. Yeah, I would imagine when you hit bottom, you hit bottom, and whether you're a celebrity or not, it doesn't matter, you know? Well, the problem is, I think, like, you can't, you know, alcoholism, there's no special treatment for alcoholism. Like, you know, the people who, you know, like I remember, because when I got sober, um, there was this comedian called Chris Farley yep. who died. Mm-hmm. He had been at, at Hazelden and then he had gone out and died around that same time. And so, you know, it was such a like, that's what happens to us. Yeah. You well, know. Belushi. So. Jim, Jim, uh, John Belushi. Belushi. Yeah. John Belushi, yeah. Uh, the other yeah. thing the New York Times article talked about was your amazing parties. Uh, I'm just volunteering myself if you find yourself with a, <laughs> an extra invite that you can't use. I'm your guy. Do you live in New York? I live in New York. Oh, okay. I'm an, I, and I'm I, available for parties. I haven't, you know, the the bad, the good news about that story and the bad news about that story is like, I wanted to have like a holiday party for like my kids and their friends mm-hmm. and just like a few people. And like, I just couldn't figure out what day to do it. Like, I was just so, I'm like so tired right now that I like haven't had a party of like, just because I'm tired. I don't know. I'm tired. Well, if that makes any sense. COVID and the world. Has and also ma- we have this made baby, you know, this puppy the size of a hamster. Yeah. So I'm worried. I don't want to. Well, you're going to be busy Instagramming photos. So you, you probably yeah, not going to have much time. Yeah, poor puppy. Uh, and yeah. you have three teenagers. You have three teenagers. What are the ages of the kids? Uh, I have an 18 year old who's in college and mm-hmm. then I have two younger teens who are still in the, uh, in high school age. And how, how have they been impacted by COVID and your life and your, you know, and politics and like, where are they at today? Cause I know with my own kid it's like, you know, they deal with so much now and have had to endure, you know, living at home with, with mom and dad or in my case, dad and York. And, and so you know, uh, and just in general, you know, the anxiety that a lot of them go through is so palpable more than ever, I think. How, how have your kids been? So I would say I try to be like sort of have a light touch about talking about my kids because I had this mother who wrote about me my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I'm not uh, I'm try to be very kind of careful um, and I don't, because I don't want to uh, tell their story for them because mm-hmm. I feel that they, uh, you know, when you do that, as I have had this experience with my mother, like you can never unring that, mm-hmm. you know, like there certainly are a lot of people who don't read, who didn't read my mother's books and don't know about me, but you can't ever have that time back so i try to be thoughtful about them but um but they are teenagers and so by the fundamental law of teenagehood 
they have to say terrible things to me. <laughs> and that is not um, well, that's what I meant to really. them. It's like, how right. are they, let's get to and the bottom of it. How the are they bottom. treating you? So what I think is very good for me, actually, is that the more um, success I have personally, the more my teenagers don't give a shit and just act the way they act. So my so but the one thing is that I have two who are at home and they are twins and they are very pissed off because the older one went to college and now they are in like a death match <laughs> over me. And so which is nice. It's nice mm-hmm. that somebody but they don't necessarily want. So one of them, and the point is, there's a lot of like, your forehead is so shiny. Is that from the Botox or is that something else? You know, so there's a lot of that. So it's very loving, by the way. Yeah. The good news is the good news about having teenagers is that um, you then have somebody who can tell you all of the bad stuff about you. For example, your forehead is shiny. Right. And also, like, I have this long vest that I think is very fashionable, and they won't let me walk near <laughs> their school because they're so embarrassed by it. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. entertaining as much as it's disheartening at the same time. Because you kind of know they're going to get out of it, especially if you have older kids. You know they, they, they do eventually come around. Um, uh, but uh, that's what they do. I mean, look, I remember hearing Steven Tyler from Aerosmith famously talk about his yeah. teenagers. He'd be like, I go, I go on stage. I'm, I'm a rock star. I'm doing all this shit. Women are throwing their underwear at me, hotel room <laughs> keys. And then I come home and I walk through the door eventually. And my kids are like, did you bring the fucking ice cream? Like, like, and he says, that's, that's you know, just they reduce you de- back to who you are. In their eyes, you're just dad who was supposed to bring home ice cream cream and they don't get caught up in all the other stuff and so uh and that's part of their job i guess they're, you know and, and they have to be independent and how they become independent is by rebelling against mom and dad and sometimes treating us you know not so wonderfully but yeah uh, but hopefully the love is is always there uh exactly. tell me, let's talk about pelosi what do you think about uh, her leaving what's the first thing i mean that mind? i think she did a great job you know I'm not a Pelosi stan because I try not to have too much investment in particular politicians, but I think she's been an extremely uh, effective vote counter, vote whipper. I mean, I've read stories about the things she did to get people to vote for her bills, and that's the kind of shit that I'm really impressed by. So I would say that is amazing. Mm-hmm. I would also think I would also say. Like, the thing I really like about her is that she ran for Congress for the first time at 47. Mm-hmm. So at someone who's, as someone who's 44, that is just thrilling to me. You mm-hmm. know, I the idea that she started her career at 47 mm-hmm. is She's thrilling. Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. So, uh, and so I, so I am really uh, a fan for that reason. If not, and, and she's done a lot of great stuff. And- I mean, and 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 I think what is really impressive is that she's, you know, she decided, you know, she sort of said, like, I'm going to do one more and then I'm going to hand it off and I'm going to stay because of the numbers mm-hmm. they need to keep mm-hmm. that seat. And, uh, you know, she did it in a very graceful and sane way, which I think is like ultimately in some ways even more a testament because we've seen so many uh, members like either stay too long or do something crazy and this was just like she gave the speech she did a nice job she's got hakeem jeffries lined up mm-hmm. you know like uh so how I much think how much do you think good. she the, the the attack on her husband had to do with this 
Because it seems like that was the catalyst. No, I think she she had told everyone she was going to retire now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, maybe she would have stayed on because a lot of times powerful people can't let go. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't know what is in her heart and mind. But for sure, this was what she had said, Mm -hmm. you know, two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Am I correct in assuming you are a fellow Jew? Yes, I'm okay. a fellow Jew. Yes. <laughs> okay, good, yes. good. So I want to ask you yeah. about uh, what seems to be a big rise in anti-Semitism in the yeah. country, but specifically I want to ask you about Dave Chappelle. I don't know if you saw his Saturday Night Live thing. I didn't see it. Oh, I didn't okay. see it. I'm sorry. All right, but how do you feel I, you about know, what we're witnessing and experiencing overall in this country today, in the world, Um. Actually? So I, I, look, I mean, anti-Semitism is always a big problem. And it has been. And it's like, you know, anti-Semitism, racism, anti-Asian hate, Islamophobia, it's all the same, right? Like, I would the one thing that I think I've always been very worried about with Trumpism was that Trumpism was like, we hate everyone, but we like the Jews. Which I thought was, like, insane. Like, I thought, you know, the people who hate everyone also hate the Jews. Like... And let's not get on the wrong side of this. Like, this is, you know, like, remember, Trump is like Mexicans are rapists, but, you know, Jews, we love Jews. Um, So I've always been like, you can't, those are not our people. The people who hate people and are racist are not our people. Like, and my grandfather, Howard Fast, who was a communist, who went to jail in the House on American Activities, who nearly lost his career, was very involved with W.E. Du Bois and with Paul Robeson. And with a lot of, you know, in his FBI file, it says that he invited black people to his apartment. He was involved in in racial mixing. You know, that's what it says in his FBI file. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, and that he was, you know, he was very committed to civil rights. And there's a long history of Jews and civil rights. And so I think the thing that has made me the most uncomfortable with Trumpism is this idea of trying to pit Jews against black people when we are natural allies, you know, and that mm-hmm. it is our job to, you know, I mean, my, my grand, my grandmother, what's going to say, <laughs> there were, uh, my, my father and my aunt were very involved. And uh, many of the people I knew, you know, who, who were in that generation were involved in going down to Mississippi, be working, you know, with, this anti-racism mm-hmm. stuff. So I, you know, I feel very committed to, I mean, in my mind, the the um, things that I'm the most interested in, you know, because I have this podcast and because I write about stuff like the, um, you know, I'm the most interested in trying to get Native people more representation in government mm-hmm. and trying to have, you know, a, you know, to trying to fight Islamophobia, which is like one of the racisms that I think is, has been quietly accepted for a long time, you know. So uh, I think it's the job of Jews to stand up for others and for others to stand up for us. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned the South, Mississippi. I mean, Jews like John, uh, uh, Goodman, An- Andrew Goodman. He, yeah. He lost his life fighting for yeah. civil rights. And my and my aunts and my father and my mother were all friends with him, and mm-hmm. his parents were friends with my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, let's shift to, uh, I think one of your favorite subjects, Twitter and Elon Musk. 
Uh, you've, been, you've been very active on Twitter uh, yes. with your opinions to uh, to Elon and Jack Dorsey. Yes. Jack Dorsey, yeah. uh, he did it. You, you, I think you you retweeted his tweet from April, which I mean, this is almost as gobbledygook yeah. as Trump. But he said, "This is right. Jack Dorsey." Quote: In principle, I don't believe anyone should own or run Twitter. It, it wants to be a, a public good at a protocol level, not a company. Solving for the problem of it being a company, however. Elon is the singular solution I trust. I trust his mission to extend the light of consciousness. You responded and said, maybe just delete this one. Yeah, In retrospect, a, I mean, sure. I mean, like, God, it's like, and then you said it's time, it's time to consider the very real possibility that Elon Musk is not a genius. What do you think is going on over there? What is happening with him? Uh, what I think that he's having some kind of meltdown. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's funny. Somebody was like, I was talking to, to someone who's a tech person and they were saying, well, maybe there's a chance he's just blowing up the site because of his, you know, he has all these entanglements, right? Mm -hmm. And one of his biggest entanglements is China. Mm -hmm. So someone was saying, oh, maybe he's blowing it up because of his relationship with China. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I have trouble believing that. I think it's more that he's just a narcissist. You know, look, I I, I think a lot of us know people who have had, um, who are surrounded by sycophants. Mm -hmm. And when you're surrounded by sycophants, you do stupid crap. And, uh, you know, that's my hot take. But who knows? Maybe he has some master plan, but it, it doesn't, it sure doesn't seem like it. Yeah. No, it doesn't. I mean, he he. It, it's hard to look at what he's doing, and think he has any any kind of plan other than to just be an erratic douche who is hell bent right. on destroying that that company. Uh, I know we're getting down to the end here. Uh, hopefully, you have another couple of minutes for us. But Trump, we got to talk yeah. about Trump running again. Um, actually, want to play you something really quick, uh, and then yeah. get your opinion on something. Trump's running for president yet again in 2024, and Trump says that he's still at the top of his game, feeling sharper than ever, and totally 100% ready to lead. The United States. He said that... <laughs> he said that he won't be slowed down by what happened in last week's... Midtown and midterm. ...election. He's ready to restore his standing among all of our elected... Lawmakers. He wants to fix our broken... Supply chain. And work with big business leaders like Tim Apple. He won't be bogged down by attacks from unknown sources that are an anomalous, really an anomalous. Because he'll fight for this country until we're all back to saying Merry Christmas, everybody. So, you know, the other side, they always talk about Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe, this, he can't do this, right. he's senile, he's dem- How is this guy running again? Putting aside. The criminal stuff that we're hoping he's going to get indicted on. But, like, are we really back again with this guy being able to run for president? What do you make of all that? Um, so this is what I would say. The problem with Trump is that <clears throat> despite his diminished stature, despite the fact that he can barely eke out a sentence, he is still right now poised to be the Republican nominee. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you game this out, there is no world in which he cannot get the diehard base, which is the only way you win the Republican primary. So as much as it's 
like you look at him and you think this guy, you know, his daughter won't even campaign with him. Right. <laughs> right. He's his daughter. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, I think that the problem with all of this is like he's there's no there's no there's no way to not have him be the nominee. And if he's the nominee, the GOP nominee, then he could win. So my anxiety is that you can't not cover him because he still exists and Mm -hmm. he's still talking to his 30, 35% of the base who love him and would die for him, as we saw on January 6th. So he has that committed base. So unless the Republican Party gets together and commits to a candidate, mm-hmm. then maybe they can take him on. But otherwise, what looks like it's going to happen, and again, we are two years out. We have, we're the same, you know, we're two weeks since the midterms, okay? We're st- or a week since the midterm. We're still counting the vote. Mm-hmm. So uh, do with this what you will. But, like, unless the Republican Party figures out a candidate, they will. you will have Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence and Donald Trump and Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and you will and those people will be like I don't know who to pick so I'll just pick my guy mm-hmm. and then he will be the party nominee and while he hasn't been able to install the people he wanted to install he hasn't been able to install loyalists like Carrie Lake or people like that even though he hasn't been able to install those people he still has he's won before Mm -hmm. so i mean so then you have this problem of like we're gonna be you know will he win i mean you would think not but it's still possible Mm -hmm. um let's talk about the house for a second you 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 wrote a a a story in vanity fair uh this week uh congrats on the new relationship by the way oh thank Uh, you they're the best i actually read something of yours from August, which I really wanted to point out very quickly, one of the paragraphs started with what I think is one of the greatest lines in in uh, literary history. It said, a few months ago, I was in a taxi with my gynecologist. Not, <laughs> and I, I, I know this is going to sound really stupid, but is that where you get your exams? No. my uh, So my amazing gynecologist, who I love, who delivered all three of my children, mm-hmm. um, was is uh involved in physician or is somehow involved in physicians for reproductive health an amazing organization that helps provide doctors Mm -hmm. cool so yeah so you wrote uh this week house of horrors the marjorie taylor green congress is upon us and then you said on your amazing podcast which by the way folks if you haven't listened to fast politics uh, Molly's podcast, you really need to do that. It's incredible. Thank you. Uh, you wrote on her, uh, you said on your podcast that um, she, uh, that, that if uh, Kevin McCarthy, it's hard for me to even say his name, if Kevin McCarthy right. becomes speaker, he is going to be a slave of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, and, yeah. And then you refer to her as the real speaker. Like, is it going to yes. get that bad? Like, is, I mean, we uh, have we, has this, has this shit show gone to the place of where Marjorie Taylor Greene is really going to be wielding the power as House Speaker in America? Yes. That's terrifying. I mean, here's the thing. Again, this is like game this out with me. Mm-hmm. They have uh, 218 seats right now. 
they're going to get to 221 or mm-hmm. 222. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, so, so that is, um, hold on. Uh, that so they're going to get to 218, 219, 220, 221. Democrats are going to have 211, 212, 213, 214. So Republicans are going to have a five, four, five, six seat margin. Mm-hmm. It's a historically slim mm-hmm. uh, margin. McCarthy will be the speaker probably, though who knows? Maybe not. Still, we have to wait till January. Um, think about what that looks like. Right. So you can get if you can get five, 10 people together, like the MAGA caucus, which is maybe five, 10, 15 really crazy members of Congress, Mm -hmm. you can control the whole fucking thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I mean, look, my fantasy scenario is they're so out of control Mm -hmm. that you get 10 Republicans to switch Mm -hmm. or four Republicans. I mean, you only need right seven Republicans. Uh, to switch and then you can have a Democratic House speaker. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think in our land of hyper partisanship that happens. Mm-hmm. But like we saw split ticket voting in this mm-hmm. election. Mm-hmm. So voters are less crazy than our elected officials. Mm-hmm. And, and to your point, you could we could also see people retire, you know, like right. more Adam Kinzinger's who are like, I, I can't work in this environment. You know, I'm not, I am not going to be beholden to Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates. Yeah. I think at this point, if you're in the house and you're a Republican, you, you're like, you, you signed up for this. Mm-hmm. So you know, the, the normal people are gone. When I ask you, is the big lie ever going to be revealed in your opinion? Are we ever going to get to that point? What do you mean? Meaning, like, do people who who today think JFK Jr. is still coming back to be his running mate, that crowd, are they ever going to wake up one day and go, my God, we were totally fucking lied to and betrayed and abused? Like, are they, is the, does the big lie live on forever with 10, 15, 20, 50 million people in this country? I mean, I think what happens is like with the JFK Jr. Uh, um, Do you think he's coming I, back, I by the say, way? I think he's back. He's that guy <laughs> who looks nothing like him at those events. Um, I think so he's I Joe Biden, say, actually. Yeah, he's Joe Biden. Joe yeah. Biden is JFK Jr. Yeah. Um, so I would say, uh, look, with with things like this, people just sort of forget about them, mm-hmm. right? Like they kind of, it's like, Think about in the 70s where people were like obsessed with different with different kinds of uh, conspiracy theories. I, I think people will go back to normal mm-hmm. okay. or, or they won't. You know? I hope so. I think if that lie lives I, on forever, this country yeah. is in a very bad place. I mean, it is a small percentage. I mean, if you if the big lie had won, we would have seen a very different 2020 midterm. But, and that's an midterms. interesting point, because the, the big takeaway for me, and I said this earlier in our open, is that the election deniers lost. And that that's a huge win for democracy. So I think we're beyond... A, that kind of existential crisis in the way we may not have thought we would be just two weeks, two weeks ago. My last question to you is the second part of our window into the soul 
You're probably going to love this one as much as you did the cat or dog question. Right. Uh, music. What's better? Uh, what's a better window into someone's soul than music? So who's your top five artists of all time? I mean, I am not like a great music person. My father is, is a composer, so mm -hmm. I have music people in my family, but for some reason it skipped my me. You know, I like pop music, so mm -hmm. I can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. I don't have sophisticated music taste. Taylor, I like Taylor Swift. Yeah, I love Taylor Swift. I lo I'm very happy with. Did you get your tickets? You know, I did not get my. T I'm not going to. I mean, that is like absolutely. You're not going to. Oh, uh, so you're you're First not all, a Swifty. You're not. Gonna... No, I'm not in anything. I'll listen to it on my phone, but I'm not a. You know. Do your kids li make a, you listen I, to certain music? No. No. My kids are like my kids want 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 me to listen to their like student government why the school you know one of my kids told me he's like a young che Guevara. that's uh, yeah that's but amazing. a republican no a republican che Guevara. He'll, and i said there is no that. republican che Guevara. and he said that's probably what che Guevara's mom said to him and i said that is not what che Guevara's mom he'll grow said. out of it your old co-host rick wilson was a republican too so they all they grow out yeah. of it. They grow out of it. Kid, these kid, these Republican kids. Molly, thank exactly. you so much. You've been amazing. I love the glasses, by the way. Oh, thank um, you. Thanks. Appreciate you coming on and, and spilling the beans on all kinds of stuff and being so honest with us. And we hope you'll do it again soon. Yes. Thank you for having me. That was great. Alrighty. Take care. So there you have it. Episode twenty five in the can. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So leave us a message at eight four five. 307-7446 or you can email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at Andy Ostroyd. And please leave a review if you like the pod. Reviews are important. People pay attention to those things. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our guest, Molly Jungfast. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. And we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week. <laughs>